Hello, everybody. This is our next episode of Shift M Podcast, and uh, we have a special guest, Jeff Atwood, who I believe for most of you I don't need to present, but I will do it anyway. And Jeff, if you allow me, I will do the presentation by myself because uh, I think I can. I mean, I would love to do that. So uh, for for uh, I Jeff was Jeff is an exceptional uh, an exceptional personality in, uh, in in software development world and in the internet world so first of all jeff started blogging software blogging uh, com- blogging about computers a uh, long time ago about 70 uh, about 16 years ago or something like that where most of us didn't know anything about blogging and blogging was something which was you know very rare activity and jeff became the top blogger in the world. His blog, I believe right now, still is one of the top or maybe number one blog about uh, about software development and computers. And then after that, about four years after, in 2008, uh, Jeff, I believe together with his partner, I believe turned upside down the world of software development. Because before that, before Stack Overflow was founded, that's what Jeff did, uh, for us programmers, it was extremely difficult to find information um, for programming. When you were writing something, and I was programming at that time, when I was writing Java code, it was a mess for me where I could find the information. There were some forums on the internet, there were some uh, newsletters, there was something where you could have to find information, ask questions, it was so difficult to get answers. And then Stack Overflow, turned the world upside down. It, it was just a platform where everything was so easy and I became one of the first users of the platform and up to date, the platform is extremely popular in the world. So these are, I believe, two achievements which Jeff did. And there's also achievement number three, Discourse, which we would like to talk about today as well, the, the, pro, the product which Jeff founded uh, after he stepped out from Stack Exchange a platform, I think 10 years ago or something. And uh, that is also very popular because it's an, it's an open source product which has almost, if I'm not mistaken, almost 30,000 stars on GitHub, which means it's exceptionally popular GitHub product. And at the same time, it's profitable business-wise. So I believe Jeff is making money out of that, according to the information he gave on one of the interviews before. So that is Jeff. Jeff, am I right about you? Yes, that's an accurate summary. (laughs) So my first question is, well, actually, this whole podcast, I would love to talk about knowledge sharing, knowledge exchange and software development teams. So my first question is about Stack Overflow. Uh, What do you think? I mean, Stack Overflow is extremely popular, but most people, if you go to real world uh, companies like teams which develop software, not open source teams, but, you know, proprietary developers and go around the office and ask them who of them have Stack Overflow, Overflow accounts, I believe one out of five, maybe out of 10, will say that, yes, they have an account, they have some reputation there, but others, they will have nothing. And they will give you excuses why they don't have an account there. So what's your take on that? Do we, do programmers need accounts there? What do you think about programmers who don't have accounts there and they still believe that they're good programmers? Well, I think the design of Stack Overflow, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of inspiration from Wikipedia. If you go back to, sort of our first design vision for Stack Overflow. It was this Venn diagram of uh, four overlapping circles. And one of those was Wikipedia. One of those circles was Wikipedia. One was blogs. uh, One was forums. um, And Wikipedia was a big source of inspiration for us that you had this idea that you have this collaborative encyclopedia that everybody's editing and, you know, shouldn't work but does. Like, I think... 
if you go back to the early days, Wikipedia was considered this radical, you know, there's no way this can work, you know, the, how can this be as good as Encyclopedia Britannica, which has been around for hundreds of years? Um, it's just a bunch of people typing stuff in on the internet and, you know, of varying levels of skill. And um, that was very inspiring to us that that system was clearly working. Wikipedia was, was a good system and, and produced great results. And, you know, that was the, the inspiration. But at the same time, let me ask you, how many people here have a Wikipedia account and actively edit Wikipedia, right? How many people do that? You know, it's not a huge list, right? Like I have occasionally edited Wikipedia articles every now and then. It's pretty rare. But you don't have the expectation that everybody has to be editing all the time for people to benefit. You can get a tremendous amount of benefit from just passively consuming the information that's on Wikipedia. And that's the same system we have at Stack Overflow. You, you shouldn't have to create an account uh, to get all the benefit. And so I would say if you don't have a Stack Overflow account, that's actually fine. Um, it, it, it's for people who really want to engage and really want to like learn more and like step up their game and uh, participate more and be more of an editor versus a consumer then that's when you sign up for Stack Overflow. Or if you have a really gnarly question that you can't get answered and you know, you've know you searched and searched and tried a bunch of stuff and can't get it to work, that's another reason to create a Stack Overflow account. So either for professional growth or you have a unique question that hasn't been asked before. And as Stack Overflow gets to be bigger and bigger and older and older, it's difficult to come up with new questions that nobody has asked before. Uh, with the exception of like new technology, like when we launched Stack Overflow, uh, iPhone development was very, very new. You know, Steve Jobs, when he launched the iPhone, as everybody famously knows, didn't allow any apps on it. So there was no way to build apps for iPhone. But by the time Stack Overflow launched in 2008, iPhone development was starting to become a thing. So there was a lot of new information about, oh, here's how you develop on iOS. Here's questions. Here's answers. Then there's always some new area of, of computing or, or some language that's up and coming that needs questions answered, right? Versus say Java, which is very established, but even then Java might have a new version with new functionality and new whole new namespaces that are introduced, right? So it's sort of a mixture, but I would say you don't need to have a Stack Overflow account to benefit. I think what is important though, is if you go to Stack Overflow, please upvote the good stuff and downvote the stuff that's not working, right? Because that's how we collectively tell if things are working. And you can do that either as a logged in user or as a not logged in user. As a not logged in user, you get in a different feedback queue, but we still look at that. In fact, one of the most interesting things to look at in Stack Overflow is questions that have a high number of logged in votes, but a very poor number of positive uh, 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 not logged in votes. That indicates there's something wrong with that question or answer and it needs to be reviewed. That's usually what that means. It's like the, the answer is out of date, basically. So that signal is hugely important. So I would advise you, don't you don't need to create an account, but please use those buttons, those up and down vote buttons uh, as you can, because that really does help. And that is how you give back. That's the most basic level of giving back is just feedback. Is this working? Is this not working? Because we do look at that, at least when I was there. Remember, I haven't been in there since 2012, but one of the key data points was, you know, upvotes and downvotes from logged in users and upvotes and downvotes from non-logged in users. So that's another way to give back, even if you don't create an account. So, yeah, that's my philosophy and that's kind of how it all works.
That's interesting because I didn't know that you count that it's actually possible to vote if you're not logged in. So that's new information for me. So thanks. Yeah, for that. you totally can. Well, there's a lot of stuff that people don't, and I think Stack Overflow doesn't do a great job of really advertising this. You can actually edit um, posts to improve them even if you're not logged in. Now it goes into a review queue because you know other users need to review that edit and so forth. It's not going to immediately take place. It has to be put into a queue and then vetted by two other established users. But if you have something useful to add, definitely press that edit button, you know, and uh, edit to make it better. And, and don't be hesitant about that. I think particularly if it's a typo or, you know, something simple that's just wrong or some, you know, useful piece of information that just emerged that's new those are really significant to add and that really helps everyone and that's how the system is designed to work is we all contribute a little bit of work to make it all better you know it's like curating you know you want to leave it better than you found it and you know you don't have to you could just go on the page get what you need and leave but you could also go on the page say oh this could be a little bit better and then improve it and then leave and then everybody wins right that's how the system is designed to work and it works really really well i mean the, the results kind of speak for themselves um but it is the downside of that is it is a very strict system you know like we only allow certain types of interactions it's meant to be like a schoolroom. it's not meant to be a place where you have these long extended discussions about is this better than this or have you done it the wrong way you know there can be more than one way to do it but it's not the place to have arguments about this is the best way to do it and none of the other ways are any good it's like well there's four ways to do it five ways six ways right that's about there's always more than one way to do it and it's up to the reader to decide which method is the right method for me you know it's not the readers the writer's place to say no this is the best method all the methods other methods are terrible you should never use them because it's very situational depending on what you're doing method a might be the best solution or method c might be the best solution or method d with some downsides might be an even better solution so there's always more than one way to do it right that's how computing is um, and then another thing we ran into is sometimes you'd have questions where there would be a hundred ways to do it and we were like hmm that's interesting so there's a computing problem where there's a hundred different ways to solve the problem that's more of a discussion than a real technical solution. Um, any question where you start to see hundreds of answers of like, oh, these are all valid, it's very opinion-based. It's not really based on engineering data. It's all just, this is my opinion, here it is, um, take it or leave it. So we kind of have to keep an eye on those questions that generate, you know, dozens to hundreds of answers those are usually not a good fit for stack overflow because we don't really want opinion-based discussions we want objective engineering solutions of which there can be five six seven maybe even ten right but once you get to starting into dozens to hundreds that's a big warning sign on stack overflow that things are going wrong it's a discussion question and it's not the right fit so you know that's something we learned later we did not know that going in uh, but we noticed that pathology on some of the questions, they were just discussions. They weren't really practical engineering solutions. They were just, here's a hundred people offering a hundred different opinions. And that's not really what Stack Overflow is for. And unfortunately, a lot of people really love those discussions, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, which is fine, but that's not what Stack Overflow is for. So we kind of have to shut those down, which people hate. Like people really want to have their little discussions about, 
you know, is this method better than this method? And here's my opinion, you know. But it's just not the place for it. Stack Overflow is not the place for that kind of discussion. So, anyway, these are all things we learned as we went. And I know there is a place inside Stack Exchange where their discussions are actually possible. I'm not sure that it works right now, but a few years ago, I remember I actually participated in some discussions like that. I don't remember the name of that place. Uh, yeah, there was software engineering stack exchange. So that no, was I mean, a, I mean, when you start site. talking in the comments, like you have posted many, many comments under the question, then the system suggests you to go into some other place where you chat. can have like a chat, and then you start talking there. That's right, because it's more like chat. It's like, well, this is a chat, you know, because the idea with the uh, so you have two levels of responses. You have questions and answers. That's the main one, and then for the answers and the questions, you can attach little post-it notes to the the, the the questions. Like, oh, I don't think your question is specific enough. Um, and the ideal goal for these comments on the questions and the comments on the answers is for them to be deleted and then the post to be edited to include that information right it's like a clarification and the perfect case is the post gets clarified the question gets clarified the question gets better and then the comment gets removed right those are meant to be temporary little post-it notes that you put to improve the question and to improve the answer because nobody really wants to read 50 comments to figure out some essential thing that was forgotten in the question you want somebody to go in, press the edit button, which you can do, even not logged in. You could do this right now today. Trust me, try it. Go to Stack Overflow, find a question that needs improvement, press edit, and just edit it. Trust me, you can do this. It works. Um, nice. And yeah, because again, who wants to read 50 comments? You want that stuff to be edited back into the question or answer so that it's simpler, clearer, and you know it just gets to the point faster it's very efficient right but it does take some discipline around i don't want to read 50 back and forth comments i want to just read the post which has the edits and is the best version of the question that it can be right so these are all things that stack overflow needs to be teaching people and does you know it, over time it's get, it's getting better but early on there were just a bunch of enlightened developers who really got it. They understood, oh, I get it. This is how it works, right? And these are like your elite developers that understand. But over time, as Stack Overflow grew, you brought in a bunch of people that weren't maybe expert developers and didn't understand the rules. And, you know, it's up to us and on Stack Overflow to guide those people and explain to them how the system works. And, like, you get a lot of negative knee-jerk re reaction. Like, oh, this place is terrible. I posted a comment and I was told... It was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Like, and how dare you tell me what to do? <laughs> uh, and I think that's a failure of communication about, you know, here's why we're so strict. We're strict because it gets such fantastic results. We're not strict because we hate you. We're not strict because we want to be rude to you. And nobody should ever be rude to anyone on Stack Overflow. That's just a rule. Uh, we're strict because that's how you get the very, very best information. And that's what you want, is just to land on the page, get a kick-ass answer that's been edited a bunch of times, it's got all the feedback, it's really up to date, and it's awesome, and you just all the information you need super fast, right? That's the goal. You know, that's what we're shooting for, and that's what the system is designed to produce. But it takes some discipline to get there. And if we're not explaining it, that's on Stack Overflow. And I think they have gotten better about explaining it, you know, teaching people, like, why it is strict the way it is, so that everybody gets these really amazing results really fast. And that's a net benefit to, you know, humanity, really, if you mm -hmm. do it right. But it does take that strictness. So...
Yeah. Yeah. I know how it works. I mean, I was once a moderator of one of the Stack Exchange sites, so I remember that strictness, <laughs> which I had to impose myself. But uh, look, I was a, I was a big advocate, and I'm still a big advocate of Stack Overflow. And on many software conferences, I was for the last I think maybe five four years, I was speaking always about Stack Overflow as a place where programmers, in my opinion, have to be actively. And I was saying that if you are serious about software development, if you consider yourself a senior programmer, somebody who is passionate about software development, that you have to have an account there and you have to have a reputation there, some some points there, because you have to answer questions, you have to contribute to the society. Otherwise, if you don't do that, then blah, 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 probably you need to improve yourself, something like that. So now I feel like you're saying that, um, you know, some people are just contributors and some people are just readers and that's the way it is and that's okay. So yeah. was I yeah. really wrong about my you know, speech that <laughs> my passion. Uh, no, I think it depends at what level you want to participate. If you just want to get things done and learn a little bit, you know, passively, if you want to learn a lot and really get engaged, then you take that next step. It's just a question of how engaged do you want to be? Because I think you can learn a lot from Stack Overflow just by reading. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think you can do even better. And I think as a reader, I would say your minimum level of interaction should be please, please upvote and downvote to let us know, you know, which answers are working, which answers aren't working. And also if something's not working or if there's a correction, please leave a little note, like a comment about that. Now it does take a little bit of reputation to leave a comment, which some people object to. Like we don't let you leave comments as a brand new user. It takes a little bit of reputation to have the privilege to leave that comment right um and and you should try to work up to that level of reputation a little bit so you can just participate and leave comments i will say that um but upvoting downvoting again there's two pools there's an upvote downvote pool for logged in users and there's an upvote downvote pool for not logged in users and it is really interesting and we look at that data all the time it's really helpful to see that a bunch of new users came in and said this answer is bad right that mean, it basically means it's out of date and needs editing. So it's really helpful to have that level of information. So please, I urge you, you don't have to create an account, but please use those upvote downvote buttons, even as a not logged in user, and it gets better for everyone. You know, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, right? And this is the minimum fun unit of work that lets all that happen. It's just please, upvote downvote. Uh, that, that's my main recommendation. And then if you're really into it, yeah, please create an account. You know, start asking questions, start editing. I mean, get as as involved or not as involved as, as you want to be. I think, uh, you know, it works at all levels. That's another strength of the system. It's not designed for the perfect developer who will create an account and, you know, go curate a bunch of stuff and do all this extra work because people are busy. Some people have time. Some people don't have time. And you get a lot of, like, underemployed programmers who are on Stack Overflow because they're having fun. You know, teaching. Teaching is fun, and teaching is one of the best ways to learn. If you want to get really good at your job, then you teach, because teaching is how you demonstrate mastery. And that's one of the lessons of Stack Overflow, right? Once you start teaching people, that's when you really know your stuff. And we all know different things. You know, there's plenty of things I'm expert on that you may not be know anything about, or vice versa. There's, just, I'm sure there's a ton of things you are expert on that I know absolutely nothing about. So having us work together we complement each other you know i know some things you know some things and together we all know all the things you know if we work together so 
that was always the, the guiding vision behind Stack Overflow. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have two programmers who would like to join your team and they send you the resumes. And uh, one of them is um, uh, just a programmer, very good. You have the, all the details, let's say Ruby developer. Another one is also a Ruby developer, but an extra information on the resume says that he's got 100,000 uh, reputation on Stack Overflow. Will it give you, uh, will, will, will it give some privilege to the second candidate in your eyes, or you will consider them as equal candidates for you? I think it's like any other extracurricular activity. So, so you're looking at somebody a, a, a applying for college. You look at their extracurricular activities, right? Well, how involved were they with student council? How many, you know, were they on the robotics team? Like, did they go above and beyond? You know, sometimes you want people that go above and beyond, that are willing to put in a little bit of extra work than the average person. I think that's fair. I, I don't think that, you know, if you don't have a Stack Overflow account, you should be immediately you know, discarded as an unsuitable candidate. I think that's unfair. I think there's a variety of, you know, ways to be a great developer, but you want some evidence that you, you're looking at someone who's willing to put in extra work to, to, to better themselves, to get better and to learn. And Stack Overflow is a great way to do that because the best way to learn is to teach, you know? And I'm not talking about, you know, starting a class. I'm saying these little fun size units of work. Oh, I know about this regex function. Let me show you exactly how this regex operator works. Here you go. Here's how it works. Here's how where you're getting the results you get. And there you go, right? It's just a little tiny moment of teaching. And it means the person was willing to do it. It means the person has the ability to communicate uh, uh, well with others and write a clear answer that makes sense. And also, to, well, they were willing to do that. They took the time to help other people and write it up because writing is how we learn. If you have a developer who's completely quiet, never writes anything down, how is anyone going to learn from that developer? You know, you need those writing skills. You need those communication skills. So it's a great way to demonstrate, hey, I have writing and communication skills. Just check out my Stack Overflow answers. Look where I explained this in a very clear way to this other person you know, and that they were willing to explain it in a friendly way and not, not yell at the other person for, oh, how, how can you not know this? Everybody knows this, right? <laughs> or, oh, great, let me teach you. This is really cool. Let me show you how this works, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly my, my reason for, for, for this, uh, in favor of this uh, pro-Stack Overflow politics. Uh, I was saying that uh, more and more people right now, they work re- in remote teams and more and more people work uh, not in the office where you can talk to your friends and explain them how things work, but where you sit in, at home and I sit at home. And if you have, for example, you're the programmer and I'm, you know, trying to decide whether you will be suitable for my team, then if you have a good experience on Stack Overflow, it tells me that you have enough communication skills to explain things remotely, not when we are, when we know each other, when we're buddies and uh, you can easily, you know, communicate with me. But when you have to explain to unknown people, to people who know nothing about you, who are not you know, who are not uh, anyhow, uh, anyhow prepared for your style of communication, for example. So on Stack Overflow, you have to be, uh, you have to know how to explain properly to unknown people. And if you have this skill, just like you said, you, you have communication skills. So for me, if you have 100,000, for example, uh, reputation on Stack Overflow, it's just an immediate indicator to me that you have enough communication skills for any remote work. Does it make sense? Yes, it does. I think there's a variety of ways to do that, but 
Stack Overflow is one of them, and you know I think GitHub is another one, and you know these are all positive things. But there's a lot of different ways to be a good developer. I wouldn't say you know unless you have a Stack Overflow account, we can't hire you. That's way too strict. But as you know, uh, a broader consensus of oh here's a bunch of things I've done. Uh, sure, I mean I think it totally makes sense. Extracurriculars, right? Just like in college. And how do you, okay, if we move now to software teams, let's say you have a team which where people sit together, some of them in the office, some of them remotely. And uh, what, what I see in, in, in software teams, I see that people tend to discuss things in an informal way over chats or sometimes they just talk to each other in the office face to face. I mean, technical things. And uh, they're not really into tickets or, you know, formal issues, tech or flow style uh, questions and answers. So they communicate informally, which in my opinion, sort of um, troubles the project because information gets uh, lost. And uh, what we discussed together one on one, we lose tomorrow and other people don't know about that. But what can you do? First question, do you think it's a problem? So we need people to be more into this technical, into this uh, text and digital discussions. And the second question is how can we encourage them to be more um, into digital style of discussions instead of uh, informal communications I'm sorry repeat the question I apologize I the, yeah the first question was do you think it's a problem that people usually don't like to use uh, questions and answers places for asking questions like Stack Overflow in, 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 in a proprietary team. Let's say it's a team which works locally. Like, I mean, they sit together in the office, a few people, and inside this team, they don't really uh, discuss over tickets or issues or question and answer platforms. So do you think it's a problem that, that it's happening, these informal communications? That well, we I need think them people to... do need to be willing to write things down. I mean, you have some people that are just like, ah, it's too much work to write things down. You know, and to do things, quote, the right way sometimes means sitting down, writing it down, telling the story of here's what happened, here's how it happened. Um, I do think that's a bad sign, particularly on remote teams, which is what we look for is, I mean, writing is the essential skill because you're working remotely, right? You're not sitting in all these meetings and walking down hallways and just having these little conversations. The only way we know if things are getting done is if you write it up. You've got to be able to willing, be willing to write things up. You've got to be a little bit of a writer. And I call this fun size units of work. I'm not saying go write a 20-page blog entry. I'm saying, look, write four to five paragraphs explaining what the problem is, what you did, how you solved it, and what the result was. And you have to be willing to write things down. And one of my favorite quotes is uh, this guy, Jamie Heineman from that show Mythbusters, said, uh, you know, that that's... the that's what science is basically just writing things down that's what science is <laughs> it's writing things down <laughs> so if you're not willing to write things down if you're too lazy to ah, i don't want to write things down so that's work i'll just do it and then it won't get documented <laughs> that's a bad sign you want people that are like comfortable writing uh, and again fun sized units of work i'm not saying write a giant blog post just write two paragraphs explaining what happened and why this went down right that's useful and that's what we need. And you want people that are willing to write a little bit and consider themselves writers and communicators. Because without communication, how does anyone know what you're doing? You know? And you've got to cultivate those communication skills somehow. And I think those little fun size units of work on Stack Overflow are a great way to exercise your communication skills in little ways that are attainable. You can take 10 to 15, 20 minutes maybe half an hour, write it down, 
you know? So yeah, if they aren't willing to do that, that's that's definitely a bad sign, especially on remote teams. Now, if you work in an office, maybe you can get away with that, but if you're working remotely, no. It's all written communication. It's the only way you know things are getting done. And how do you think it's possible to solve those problems if, for example, I am a manager of such a team and I have people who don't, like you said, who don't like to write anything down, they just like to talk. So how can I improve that being a manager? Well, one thing we do at Discourse as well, we use Discourse, and in Discourse there's a topic called My Weekly Activities for 2021. And every week you write down, and you got to take notes during the week so it's not painful, because one thing we have to tell people is, look, if you wait until... <laughs> Friday at 4 p.m. to think about what you're going to write down, what you did for the week, you are screwed. You need to, during the week, take little notes about what you did, right? Not like long, just like short, never whatever format makes sense to you, but make notes. So then when it comes time to write your Friday, here's what I did during the week, so everybody knows, you have a list of notes. Oh, I did this, I did this, I did this, and you just write it up, it's easy. Whereas if you have a blank slate, you're sitting there Friday thinking, oh God, what did I do Monday? What did I do Tuesday? What did I do? I don't even remember what I did, right? Uh, you're going to be in trouble. So you need the discipline of taking a little bit of notes as you go during the week. Just to remind yourself, oh yeah, that's right, I did work on that. And oh yeah, I worked with that customer for a little bit. Just take some notes. That's important, you know? And then when it comes time to write your Friday summary, so everyone can tell, oh, this is what Joe works on. And this is what Joe's struggling with. You know, and this is what, you know, I is anything blocking you? You know, that's an important question. And what do you feel good about? What don't you feel good about? Um, that's a requirement at Discourse. You know, every week we have a topic called my 2021 weekly updates and it's just once a week it's not like we're asking you to tell us tell us every day what you did it's just give us the highlights you know the the, mm -hmm. the the good things the bad things and the basic summary i don't need to know every tiny thing that you did i don't want to know that that's pointless i just want to know the highlights the lowlights and then what you felt good about what you felt bad about and that's a discipline that you need to have so you can use discourse for that works great obviously i'm very biased because that's our tool <laughs> Um, but it's an essential tool. We have this weekly summary topic for everybody, and they just post in it once a week. So basically, they are like weekly reports. Well, we don't call them that way, but you, you call them weekly highlights. Yeah. Yeah, basically the highlights. I don't need to know every tiny detail that you did, but just, yeah, just went over what you did, what went well, what didn't go well, what you're planning to do for next week, and, you know, just it's, keep it short simple it doesn't have to be complicated we're not looking for you know a 3000 word essay or anything just simple but that kind of discipline is definitely needed especially on remote teams because you need people that can kind of figure out what they should be working on next kind of by themselves and part of being on a good remote team is you have agency you get to decide i i would prefer to work on these three things because i think those three things would have the most beneficial impact to the company you know, you get to choose. You have agency. You don't have a manager sitting there saying, you will do this, you will do this, you will do this. It's more like, here's a menu of things that are kind of, you know, possibilities. What what do you think we should work on? You know, because I don't hire people to be mindless robots that just do what I tell them to do. I hire them because they're talented and they can tell what we should be doing, even if it's not on the list. Sometimes they'll see things like, wow, we're really not doing X and we really should be. I'm like, oh my God, that's a great idea, right? You know, um, I, I don't want anyone to feel like they're being micromanaged. It's more like 
you're talented. That's why we hired you. And, you know, you have agency to decide. These are the things that we should be working on that are important and would really help us. And these are our pain points that we need to address. You tell us. You're the expert. That's why we hired you. Mm -hmm. So from, from the explanation you're giving, I take that these uh, highlights, these weekly highlights, are more even beneficial for employees than for the managers. Yeah. Well, yeah, because how do you know what you know, Sarah is working on? How do you know what Joe is working on? You know, how do you know what Judy is working on? You don't know unless they kind of give you a little summary of what's going on. And that can be helpful. And you might see something in Judy's update. It's like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I really like that. I want to help you with that, right? Or that helps me with another project. That gives me an idea of something I could be working on. Without that written communication, you just don't get that. And it's so essential. And your platform is open source, right? Discourse. Yes. Completely open source. Totally open source. I mean, the, there's some enterprise secret sauce for stuff that you wouldn't care about, like LDAP and just other big company nonsense that you have to deal with. Uh, but the core of the product is absolutely unfettered open source. So, yeah, it's available to everyone. And that's one of the big intents is to build this uh, great remote work tool, not just forum software, but tool for getting things done because you can assign work to people. You can assign a topic to someone. Uh, you can track all your assignments. You can uh, set uh, reminders that fire off at certain times very, very easily. It's really the really lightweight, what I call the Trello version of something like Jira. You know, it's like a tool for getting things done, but very lightweight and very open-ended and doesn't force you to need a particular structure, right? It's not this Jira ticket monster. It's more like, hey, here's the story of what I'm working on. Here's the story of what everybody else is working on. And storytelling is the, is the key basis of how things get done. It's like, not just what you're doing, but why? Why are you doing that? What's the purpose of this? Explain it to me. Sell me on it. Why is this important? I want to understand. And that's what matters. Because if you can explain why you're working on something, then what, what, what's the point? Why are you working on that? Is it really <laughs> moving the needle if you can't explain why you know, you're working on it? So it really matters. And it's got to be important to you too, not just to us. I want you to work on stuff that you think is important, not just me. Hmm. And you made, this, made the platform open source from the first day. Yes, that or, was always the goal. Because was Stack it, Overflow was, was very closed source, but that makes sense for Stack Overflow because Stack Overflow is like, it's really a scalpel. It's a very, very sharp knife. It's very, very strict. It's designed for experts. Um, and it, it has great results in the hands of a surgeon, right? But if you hand like the average person off the screen a scalpel and say, you know, start cutting stuff, they're going to hurt themselves and create some damage, right? <laughs> uh, it's a very specialized expert level tool, whereas discourse is more like a table knife. You could use it to open a box. You could use it to, you know, <laughs> um, eat dinner. You can use it to, you know, all these different uses, right? You can even screw in a screw with it if you really needed to. It's a much more general purpose tool, uh, whereas Stack Overflow is this, this, this scalpel, which is kind of dangerous. Great in the hands of someone very experienced, but dangerous in the hands of someone who doesn't have training and doesn't really know what they're doing. So it's a much safer set of tools and a much more open-ended set of tools that fits a lot of different scenarios. Whereas Stack Overflow is really for experts. It's for systems where there's a body of knowledge that is more or less right or wrong. Like again, there can be five different ways to do it, 
but there's not a hundred ways to do it. There's like five or six that make sense, you know? So it's kind of more of an expert level tool. I'm sure it was not an easy decision when you made it about this course because it was a long time ago. Now many companies do open source and they decide, many startups, they decide right from the start that everything will be open source and we will make money on services or somehow. But you started this course long time ago. So I think at that time, that was a decision which would I would call not so popular as it is now. Am I right? Yes, open source has definitely become, we started around 2012, 2013, and open source was more radical of a thing to have in an organization. And uh, it's certainly become way more common to have open source tools in organizations. Um, the only variable is, you know, whether it's hosted internally for security reasons, because a lot of companies kind of freak out about external hosting, depending on the secrecy level of what they're working on versus being able to host it internally on their own servers. We don't do internal hosting. It's just too complicated. Um, but we do a ton of external hosting. And, um, you know, we, to the extent that we can, we definitely enforce privacy. So, um, but as I said, it depends on the company. Some, they just want extreme secrecy. Like Apple, for example, wants extreme secrecy. So everything has to be internal. And when people come to you, let's say working as a program to work as a programmers, as programmers, then um, some of them may have experience in open source. Some of them may have no experience in open source. For you, uh, does it matter this experience or you just look at their skills and uh, their expertise? Uh, I think having background in open source is, is rather important. Uh, it's kind of a different mindset. I think you can learn it. But it's definitely something we look for versus being in a closed source code base. Because you got to realize like a lot of people are going to be looking at your code, not just your team, but people on the outside may look at your code and say, oh, this is really weird code, right? Like you're going to get criticism from people outside the company about why did you build it this crazy way? Um, whereas internal code is kind of shielded from that kind of criticism, that kind of, you know, eyeballs. But it also helps with security you know we have we have a hacker one program which is great and people can come in and look at our source code look for vulnerabilities and help us address those vulnerabilities and that program has been a huge success um, it's definitely identified gosh dozens of things that could have been real problems for us that um, and you know they get paid for it as well these are exploit bounty programs i was initially very down on programs like this thinking oh this is it's all about the money but Really, it's just nice to have a lot of eyes on your code and helping you identify potential security problems before they become, you know, news reports of this massive exploit that you had. So it's quite helpful to have stuff. Be how much course. How much did you pay the, the maximum amount? Oh, well, I don't know. I'd have to look. I don't want to say like $1,000 right now. I'd have to look. If you go to Hacker One and you search for Discourse, um, we're in there with all the rules of the program and the, the levels of, you know, the, the exploit levels from high, medium to low. Um, but I will tell you one thing that, that helped uh, immensely was uh, locking down external JavaScript. Um, I'm blanking on the term for this, but there's a way to lock down all the JavaScript so that you never do inline JavaScript. Uh, you only do JavaScript files, so injection stops working that is huge 
It's difficult to get to for some projects, but it was well worth it for us because it reduced our exploit load by like half. Um, but just really tightly controlling the way JavaScript can run in your app um, is significant. I need to write a blog post about this because um, it was one of the main outcomes of our bug bounty program was to lock down the way JavaScript is delivered in the app so you don't have eval, for example, is not allowed. Um, yeah, so we've made tons of progress and have gotten much more resilient as a result of our HackerOne bounty program, which requires everything to be open source so everybody can look at the code. But open source means that uh, anyone can just take your discourse source code and just make a copy, a fork, and then just change the name and uh, and and use it for their own own purpose. So aren't you afraid of that? It's more of a sales tool because really when you go into a large org, you can say, look, here, you're paying us this amount of month for hosting. But if at any point you don't like our hosting, you can say, you know what, you guys aren't aren't doing this right. We're just going to host it internally and you don't need to pay us. So we need to be doing a really good job on hosting. Otherwise, you can switch at any time, and we can't steal the code from you. We can't get into a situation like Oracle could, for example, where you're using Oracle databases, and you decide, you know what, I don't really like these Oracle licensing fees. These are really, really high, and then I don't want to pay this. Well, um, you're kind of screwed because you don't really have a choice. All your systems are tied to Oracle databases, unless you rewrite them, so they aren't. So you pretty much pay whatever Oracle tells you to pay. Because what are your options? What are you going to do? Quit? What are you going to do? Stop using Oracle? I mean, how? So with us, you can decide, you know what? The discourse team isn't doing a great job supporting their software, so we'll just run the open source version and host it ourselves. So it keeps you on your toes. It's also an insurance policy for the company. It's like, we can never take this away from you. If you build significant parts of your business on the discourse code base, it will always belong to you. Because you can at any point say, I'm going to fork this, and now it's mine. And that's completely fair, right? Um, we need to demonstrate value such that our customers don't feel the need to fork discourse and come off our hosting, right? Because we're giving them a, a good experience. We're friendly to work with. We uh, update the software regularly. We stay on top of exploits. We stay on top of customer feedback. And we're evolving the product very rapidly in response to what our customers are asking us for. And if you did that yourself, you'd have to allocate an engineering team, right? You need an engineering team familiar with discourse that can actually build new features, handle security, all that stuff. It's like, is that worth it? Because it's going to be quite a lot of money for you to have three or four engineers on staff that know discourse really well to the point that they can troubleshoot it, deploy it, build security patches for it, all that stuff. So, um, you know, we have to demonstrate value all the time, and the companies that buy from us get a great insurance policy, you know? Like, if at any point if we don't like it, we can just run it ourselves. That's an option. Nobody can take it away from us. You know, that's, that's the contractual guarantee that open source gives you. You can always have it. No one can take it away from you. Yeah, but I meant something uh, in, in an opposite direction. Let's say I take your discourse code and I make another company, which I call Discourse 2, where the source code is yours, but I just rename it. I just change the logo. And then I start selling this platform just without any investment because you invested 10 years of work into it. But I will have it just from, you know, already. Well, we're moving at a pretty 
fast velocity in terms of product velocity. So it would take a while. You'd have to really keep up with a lot of the changes that we're making and fold them in constantly um, and stay on top of all the changes. Uh, and part of that is just velocity. Yeah, if, if you... If we didn't make any changes to discourse for two years, we just sat idle and did literally nothing. Like there were no improvements, no bug fixes, nothing for two years. Then I think people would start doing that. They would say, okay, look, you're not making this any better. It's just stagnating. So we have to step in and fork it and make it better. And if you're moving at a nice high clip of velocity, which I'm a big believer in, I'm a big believer in you're either growing or you're dying. Those are the two choices. And you want to constantly be growing and evolving your product in very like fast ways. And if you're not, that's when you're at risk of someone saying, oh, I have discourse, you know, two. <laughs> uh, and it's a fork of discourse, but it's going to start missing all these other features that we're building, you know, unless you pull them over really rapidly and integrate them yourself. So you got to be moving with a nice fast cadence and velocity and I'm okay with that because to me again you're either growing or you're dying and I really enjoy moving fast changing the product um, evolving it really rapidly is something that I just enjoy I think that's the nature of software is that it's malleable and you can change it and you know not doing that is kind of defeating the purpose so we have been very good at evolving discourse and you know moving it forward uh, very rapidly over a period of months even. There's tons of stuff that we do in three months. Features, bug fixes, security stuff. It sounds like a very brave attitude, which is definitely, well, I, it, it is very respectful, but I think many companies will just say, you know, we are scared about that. We don't want anyone to compete with us, even if we stay stay quiet for two years just like you explained so most companies just try to keep their code proprietary in order to protect themselves against this kind of a threat when they stay quiet for some time and then somebody some competitor just takes the code and run faster so you are you're not afraid of that but what would you what do you think the world will move towards this direction many more companies will follow your strategy or we're going to stay with the proprietary products for the next i don't know 50 years uh, you know, I think the proof is kind of in the pudding. I mean, if you look at, you know, the evolution of discourse, how rapidly we introduce new features, I think you can find other projects where they essentially abandon the open source side, but usually that's in preparation for going closed source. Anytime you see that, it's almost certainly, in the ones that I've seen, they're transitioning away from open source. That's why the open source part is stagnating, because they no longer believe in that model. Uh, but we don't, feel that way. We feel like that model will continue to be a strength. It's the way we work. We, we're going to be going fast for the foreseeable future. There's so many things we want to get to. Uh, you know, we're, we're like nine years in and just still building major, major pieces of what I view as the product. Um, not just forum software, but as a way for teams to get things done on the internet. It's one of the fundamental building blocks of just groups of people on the internet getting things done. It's essentially we're big picture. We're, we're an alternative to Facebook and Facebook is a massive product, right? So there's no shortage of things uh, to compete with, things to build, things to make, you know, fun and, and interesting to use 
and you know just adopting the latest UI conventions, keeping up the date on security. For example, like we have comprehensive two-factor auth support, and we have for a while. And just for us to keep parity with the big the big companies is is it's a lot of work, um, but we do it, you know. And to have an alternative to Facebook that is as good as Facebook is no trivial thing because Facebook has how many tens of thousands of employees um, but granted they're they're doing a lot of other stuff that we don't do like you know VR which I don't even believe in anymore um, but yeah so it keeps you on your toes but and then there's a lot of companies that really appreciate open source they understand the risk of you know giving all their stuff over to Facebook means they don't really own it anymore whereas if you do stuff with discourse it still belongs to you you know, you haven't handed over the keys of the kingdom to Mark Zuckerberg. And there's a lot of value in that. Like, you actually own it. It's your place, your community, your site, your rules. And that makes for a better, more diverse internet. And a more interesting internet, I think. So, there's a lot of people and a lot of customers that really get this. Yeah. Aren't you afraid of uh, showing your source code to the whole world and people may sometimes start blaming you for some mistakes or bad code, bad style? I mean, when it's a pet project of one developer on GitHub, then it's okay. That person actually is ready to take this criticism. But when it's a company, a group of people, then uh, some people may publicly say, hey, look, look what Jeff's team is doing. Look how bad their code is, blah, blah, blah. So aren't you scared of that? Uh, no, really not at all. In fact, I think having people look at your code just makes it better because you realize it's kind of like you're going to a party every night. You're going out, you know, so you got to look your best, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> you're not just sitting in the house alone. You're going outside. People are going to look at you. They're going to judge you. They're going to see you. You need to look decent, right? You got to put some clothes on. You got to maybe look fancy. Maybe you're going to a party, you know, and, you know, having people evaluate you and judge you keeps you on your toes as far as, you know, are we doing best practices are we following security best practices are we following user interface best practices are we building something that's objectively beautiful to look at or at least skinnable and themable in a way that makes sense to people there's a lot of responsibility here to to the public and you know i think the public sees that and says hey you're you're actually listening to us you're actually building stuff that we give you feedback and you follow up on it. That's amazing. You know, like, I mean, if I have an idea for a feature for Twitter, they, they don't give a shit, really. <laughs> They're not going to build it. But if you're a customer at Discourse and you have a strong case to make for a feature that kind of jibes with what, you know, the goal of Discourse is, then we're like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Let's build that together. You know, especially if you're on an enterprise hosting plan, you can underwrite the development of this, take the product in a direction that we both want to take it in together. We work together as a team. You know, it's not just, oh, you know, pray that Facebook doesn't do X or pray that Facebook adds this feature. It's like, no, you're a customer. You have input into the way things are built and uh, we build it collaboratively together to make it better. And on top of that, it goes back out to everybody else. Everybody else benefits from your work. And you can feel good about, hey, we introduced a feature that helps all these people. You know, not just us, not just our company, but everyone. And that's a good feeling, you know. And I think we tend to attract enlightened customers that get that and see that. It's like this is about 
something for the greater public good. This is not about selfishly me getting mine. This is about let's solve a problem for me and also solve a problem for a bunch of other people like nonprofits and small groups that couldn't otherwise have this. And that's great. That feels good. That's how we build a better society. That's how we build, you know, a better world for everyone. Well, that's a very brave and very, I, I, it's a great strategy. Totally admire it. Uh, I have one question, very personal and very technical, which uh, bothering me for the last, I don't know, eight years while I'm using Stack Overflow, maybe longer. Uh, right from the first day, the platform was extremely fast. It was extremely quickly responsive website. Yes. Uh, and it was bothering me right from the first day. How did you make it that fast? And, and still, I believe it's one of the fastest websites on the, in, the, in, the, in the planet. Look at the Facebook, look at Twitter. They are 10 times slower, even though they have 10 times more, maybe 100 times more money for their servers, for everything. So my question is, how did you do it? Well, partially it was an emphasis on speed. From the day one, we were like, okay, it needs to be fast because you need to quickly determine is this the right answer or not, right? Like speed is a feature. And I have a blog entry about this. You can look it up. Speed is a feature. And we also were using uh, .NET, which is a compiled language. It's actually very, very fast. Um, there are, of course, ways to make it slow if you're a terrible programmer. You can make any, the, you can make machine language slow if you really, <laughs> it's, humans have the uncanny ability to make code run really slow no matter what they use. But if you use .NET right, it's really, really fast. I mean, it's compiled. Um, and we see that with Ruby. Gosh, like <laughs> 50 milliseconds is like sort of a typical Ruby time. But in .NET, it's like five. You know, you're, you're starting off with like 10 times advantage on speed. So unless you throw that away, um, you start off with a huge advantage with .NET because it is compiled. And... There's been efforts to like do compiled versions of PHP, I think hack that language from, from Facebook and sort of retrofitting this stuff on to other languages that are interpreted languages like Python and Ruby. And they have gotten better, but .NET is really fast. And just also to have a culture of speed, like there was a, a tool and we added a tool like this for Ruby, which shows you on every page load the time. Like here's the total time, you can click on it and it's called Mini Profiler. You can look it up, Mini Profiler. It's available for Ruby, it's available for, for .NET, and it shows you on every page load, where are you spending time? So you can kind of drill in as you're developing, like, oh gosh, I just added something that made it twice as slow. You know, rather than two years from now, death by a thousand cuts. It's like you made 20 decisions that made it 10% slower, and you didn't know that. So, um, uh, you end up with this really slow app. So you need a tool that lets you keep track of this stuff and uh, keeps it on the front page in front of developers. I believe very strongly in that. So just look up Mini Profiler. It's available for Ruby, it's available for .NET, and it works brilliantly, keeping those performance numbers front and center so you don't lose track of performance as a feature. But still, the Stack Overflow, like the front page of Stack Overflow has, I don't know, a thousand data items which you need to retrieve from the database and you show them right there on the one html page while if, while if you go to twitter or facebook they upload extra pieces of information using javascript 
So they still, even though after 10 years after you launch TechOverflow, they still don't know how to do that, how to show everything in just one page. But you knew that 10 years ago. So what's the trick? How can you go? How can you make so many round trips to the database and show everything in just, uh, I don't know, a few milliseconds? It's just like, like how? There are so many layers of caching or you what's just, the... You just have to have a focus on performance from... Yeah, performance <laughs> is a feature. You just have to have a focus on performance from day zero. It has to be part of your culture as a company. And one of the downsides of Ruby is they really haven't had this idea of performance as a feature. It's always been, oh, you know, that doesn't matter. What matters is uh, performance of the developers, which isn't untrue, but it also isn't the complete story. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can be fast for developers and be fast for end users because performance is, in fact, a feature. And then when you're prototyping, it's true. It doesn't really matter. The problem is when you're prototyping, the prototypes tend to ship as the final product in my experience. So if you build up these slow prototypes, then you're going to have a pro slow site. So you have to have a philosophy from day zero of like, look, performance matters from the beginning to the end. Performance matters. It's something we care about. The performance number needs to be on the screen of the developer at all times so we're aware of it. That's the way it has to be, and that's what works. <laughs> okay, well, as I said, Stack Overflow is the, like a like an icon for me in terms of speed. That's the fastest website I can find right now on the internet. Like the, the rich website. It's not just a one-page website. It's a really huge database there. And no matter where you click, it immediately returns you uh, the HTML content. So it's that's amazing. I think that probably that was one of the reasons why you outperformed this, uh, what was the name, Experts Exchange website, right, in that time. So you, you made much more progress than, than them. 10 years ago because of speed, I think. Yeah, no, performance is a feature. I have a blog post about this called Performance is a Feature. I highly recommend people Google it. Just Google performance is a feature and read through, and I, I still believe that. And yeah, performance is a feature, even today. It really, really is. Okay, that sounds good. So thank you very much for all the answers that uh, I think we encourage people to try this course. I believe so, because many of them probably don't know the platform, but they should. And uh, you gave very good advice for Stack Overflow usage. So I will, I will try it myself as well, these features which you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, excellent. I hope it was useful to people and, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, bye thank bye. you. Thanks for coming.